Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Amen. Well, we've been on a series um, this past couple weeks um, on the presence of God. Uh, We've titled it Presence is Enough is what we have... uh, we have been talking about these last couple of weeks. And so I want to continue on talking about that this morning. Um, if you weren't here for our, our first, uh, first Sunday of the year in 2023, um, I want to just give real fast uh, a, quick, um, a quick recap of what I believe the Lord is saying to us for this year. I believe the word of the Lord for us this year is that we would make his presence our priority that we would make his presence our priority. Priority, that's Greek for priority. (laughs) That we'd make his presence our priority. I believe he is raising up Simeons that will be filled with the spirit to see Jesus and contend for his presence to come and bring change. I believe he's raising up Annas who are born of presence, those who have experienced his presence before that are willing to go and sit in places absence of presence and pray and fast until his presence comes. And I believe that he is raising up houses of Joseph that will make his presence their only priority, that will do whatever it takes to host him well, who will say, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. Amen? I believe he's asking us to make his presence a priority, both in this congregation on Sunday mornings and in our life here at the church, but also in our homes, within our own personal lives, within our own personal journey with the Lord, that we would begin to turn our affection on the Lord throughout the week. It wouldn't just be on Sunday mornings, it wouldn't be just when we gather together, and it wouldn't even just be when we sit down and have our devotions, but that we would turn our affection and our attention to the presence of God, to the reality of his indwelling within us throughout our day, throughout our week. I talked last week about uh, a man named Brother Lawrence who, uh, um, who it was said of him that there was no difference between when he was in deep prayer in the, in the synagogue and when he was in uh, the kitchen washing dishes. That, that there was the same attention to his presence that was in both the, what we would call the sacred and what we would call the secular. That there was no difference. People would actually come from all over the world to see and to meet Brother Lawrence, who, by the way, wasn't any kind of a teacher, wasn't any kind of a, a special, specially known uh, monk or anything like that. He was just a guy who worked in the monastery, who washed dishes and made food, and people would journey from all around the world to see how does this guy practice the presence of God? How does this guy have the same encounter with Jesus that he has in the sanctuary that he does when he's washing dishes in the kitchen. It's because he's made presence a priority. He's focused his attention on the presence of God. And I believe that's what God is asking us and calling us to do this year, that we would make presence, his presence, our priority, our focus. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I had the thought, why? Why is his presence so important? 
And that may seem like an easy answer. You know, obviously his presence is important because it's, it's God's presence. He's important, right? But why are we being asked, why are we being called out from the Lord to practice the presence or make his presence a priority? I believe to understand the why behind why he's asking us to make his presence a priority, we need to visit the house of Laban. The house of Laban. So in Genesis chapter 30, the story can be found in Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 through uh, 43. We're not gonna read them this morning. I'm just gonna share with you the story um, of what it says there in Genesis chapter 30. So in Laban, Laban was the uncle of Jacob. Uh, this is the Jacob from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I'm talking about, the, one of the founding fathers of our faith. So Jacob, so Laban was Jacob's uncle. And Jacob was back in his hometown with his mom, Rebecca. Rebecca uh, doesn't want Jacob to marry anybody from their surrounding region because they lived among the Canaanites, and he did, she didn't want him to marry a Canaanite. So what does Rebecca do? Rebecca sends her son Jacob to her uncle to, well, her brother, his uncle, thank you, her brother Laban, because she wants him to find a wife amongst their family. Yes, I said that right. She wants her son to go to her uncle's house to find a wife amongst her, her, her brother's family. So Jacob gets over to Laban, uh, falls in love with Laban's daughter, his cousin. Yep, it's, it's that kind of family. Uh, and they, they, he, he falls in love with Rachel. And so we all know the story. I'm gonna kind of abbreviate it. Ra he falls in love with Rachel. He goes to work for Laban for the hand of Rachel as his payment. So he has to work for seven years, seven years to get the hand of Rachel and to marry her. So he works for seven years and the night finally comes where he can marry, uh, marry Rachel and Laban gives him instead his other daughter, his older daughter, Leah. So now he's got two cousins that he's married to. And so he marries Leah, and he works for seven more years to get the hand of Rachel. There's a whole lot of stuff in there, but you get the idea of the story. So he marries Rachel, he marries Leah. They begin to form a family together. During this time, Jacob shepherds Laban's flocks, his sheep and his goats, during this time, Laban becomes a very wealthy man because of Jacob's favor, that, the favor that is on Jacob from, from the Lord. So Laban becomes rich because Jacob is favored. And there's a lot there that we can unpack, but we're not going to this morning. I'm telling you, there's about 20 rapid trails we can go on this morning, so I'm gonna do my best to keep it on the straight and narrow. But Jacob, or Laban becomes blessed because of the favor that rests on Jacob. So Jacob, or Laban becomes wealthy because of the favor on Jacob. Jacob, after having a few kids, begins to get homesick and wants to go home to be with his family. So he wants to take his wife, his wives, and his kids home to back to his homeland because he begins getting homesick. And so he goes to Laban and begins to tell him, Laban, I think I'm going to take my family and we are going to move back to my homeland. Laban looks at him and he says, man, I've prospered because of the favor that is on your life. And he, said, and he asked, Laban asked Jacob, how can I repay you? How can I pay you? 
And so here's what Jacob says. Now we're getting into the story. Y'all ready? Everybody focused in? Here, here, here's what Jacob says. He says, Laban, he says, as payment, give me the sheep that are striped and speckled, the black sheep, and give me the goats that you have that are striped and speckled as my payment. All the ones who are pure and are flawless, you keep as your own, but just give me the ones that are striped, the ones that are speckled, the ones that are, are different from the others as payment. And so Laban says, absolutely, Jacob. And you know what Laban does? He separates all of the speckled and striped sheep and goats. He separates them from the flock. And instead of giving them to Jacob, he gives them to his sons and tells his sons to start walking three days away to hide them away from Jacob. Laban's not a great uncle, I'm telling you. <laughs> so Jacob continues hurting and continues um, uh, hurting uh, Laban's sheep and his goats. But God gives Jacob an idea. And Jacob, what he does is he takes, uh, he takes branches off of a tree and he stripes them. He takes bark off of them and makes them striped. And he sets the striped limbs inside the watering trowel where the sheep and the goats go to water and also where the sheep and the goats go to mate. And so every time the sheep and the goats go to the watering trowel, when they look into the water to get a drink, what they see is stripes and speckled branches. And when they go to mate with one another to, to reproduce, they are staring at rods or, or branches that are striped and are speckled. And what begins to happen is as they begin staring at the striped and speckled branches, they begin producing offspring that are striped and speckled. And so Laban, or Jacob continues this process over and over again, and he begins separating his herd, his striped and speckled, the striped and speckled offspring from the strong, the other goats and sheep that are, are pure and that are normal. And it says that he became wealthy and prosperous, more prosperous than Laban by doing this. What is the story trying to teach us? Here's what I believe the story is trying to teach us. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. As the goats and the sheep stared at the striped and speckled branches, they produced offspring that were striped and speckled. You become what you behold. You know, you can see this concept even with married couples, can't you? The longer you've been married, the more you begin to look alike, right? Rich, Richard and Linda, I'm looking back at you. How long have you guys been married? Almost 63 years. Now, I don't know about you, but they kind of look alike to me, right? 63 years. As, as, you, as you are married with one another and you wake up and look at that same face every morning. I'm so sorry, Linda. But as you look up and look at that same face every single morning of your life, eventually you begin to look like one another. You begin thinking alike, right? You can finish each other's sentences. You know what the other person is thinking across the room without them having to tell you what they're thinking, 
right? You begin looking alike. You begin talking alike. You even begin smelling alike, right? Everybody, every couple has the same smell, right? Good or bad. Thankfully for the Floyds, it's good, right? But you begin looking like one another. And it's not even just married couples. When we first moved back home, um, from Alabama and started coming here to church. And uh, as we began sitting under Pastor Ron and Jackie and, and learning from them and spending a lot of time with them, um, I started noticing something. I started picking up on all of Pastor Ron's mannerisms. Like, you know how when you call, and many of you have been on the phone with Pastor Ron, when he calls you, the first thing he says is, what you up to? Or what you doing, right? First thing he says every time. I started calling people, and as soon as they answered the phone, what, was, what did I start saying? Hey, what you up to? What, what you doing by now? Same exact thing. He, he, does this, he, I don't, he doesn't do it as much anymore, but he used to do this thing with his mouth where he'd go, you know what I'm talking about, anybody? I started doing that. One day I just realized I started to do that because I was spending so much time with him, under him, that I began... I began acting and picking up the same mannerisms, the same things that he was doing, right? I even remember as a kid seeing people with their vehicles, and I started thinking, they look like their vehicle. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I had an uncle who had, had one of those old, like, caravan, caravan kind of things, and, like, it looked like my uncle, right? <laughs> right? So beholding is becoming what you stare at you eventually be start to look like. You eventually start turning into that thing that you stare at. That's why presence is important. That's why presence has to become a priority because what we behold, we become. What we behold, we become. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter three what happens as we behold the Lord, as we behold his presence. Second Corinthians chapter three, I'm gonna read verse seven through verse 18, and once again, there's about 30 rapid trails I added. Did you see that? It was 20, now it's 30 rapid trails that we could go on this morning, but I'm gonna try to stay focused here. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, starting at verse seven, it says this, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, talking about the commandments, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of the countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. So it was, it's saying there that the glory of the Old Testament, the glory of the law, as glorious as it was, is nothing compared to the glory of grace and, what, and the glory of Jesus in the new. For if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, uh, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil that remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. Whew. 
That's a powerful statement. One, one small rabbit trail right here. You can't read the Old Testament without the cipher of Jesus. You won't be able to understand or fully under, recognize or understand the Old Testament until you see the Old Testament through Jesus. He is the cipher. He is how it makes sense. The Old Testament was pointing to him, amen? But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And here's where we're gonna rest our hats here this morning. Verse 18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I wanna point out three words to you here this morning from this verse. And yes, we are going to nerd out a little bit. And I think Ty is excited. Yes. Three words I wanna point out to you this morning to help us understand this verse. The first word is mirror, the second is transformed, and the last word is image. So let's break these down and then we're gonna talk about them. You ready? Everybody with me? Ready to nerd out? All right, here we go. The first word, mirror, is the Greek word kataporosamamia. If you want to know how to speak in tongues, just try to pronounce some Greek words and then you got it, all right? Mirror is some long Greek word that means this, to see oneself in a mirror. Guess it's surprising, isn't it? But there's more to it than that. You see, this word that is used here for mirror is, is, is not the same as the other words in Scripture used for mirror. The other words used in scripture for mirror are talking about a literal glass reflective mirror. This word is, the, is only used this time in scripture. You only see this word in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And this word carries with it a picture, okay? So uh, the theological dictionary of the New Testament says it like this. This is what this word means. The mirror makes the invisible visible. And in doing so, changes us into the likeness of what we see. So this isn't just a normal mirror. This mirror reveals something that is already present, but is not at, at, at the moment visible until it is beheld in this mirror. Does that make sense? Okay, let's go on to the next word. It's all gonna come together, I promise. The next word is transformed. It is the Greek word metamorpho. It means this, giving outward expression of one's inner character. The outward expression coming from and being truly representative of the inner character. Does that make sense? So it's the outward expression of what's happening on the inside already. So this comes from the root word meta, which means together and with. And then also from the word morph, which root word is meros, which means portion 
or form. Now here's what's exciting about that. How many of you remember back a little while ago, we talked about the word hamartia, which is the word for, that the Bible uses most of the time for the word sin. Hamartia, it comes from the word ha, which means without, and meros, which is portion or form. So if sin means without portion or form, which points to a distorted identity, metamorpho means with portion or form, which points to a restored identity. Does that make sense? So when we stare at the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, what happens is that image and likeness awakes on the inside of us. Does that make sense? This is the same word that is used, let me, let me, let me actually just explain it this way. Here, here's the picture that we can, we can understand this word metamorpho with. When you have a caterpillar, okay? A caterpillar, what does a caterpillar do eventually? Turns into a butterfly, right? But here's the deal. When it was a caterpillar, it doesn't turn into something that wasn't already on the inside of him. The caterpillar had everything he needed on the inside of him already to become the butterfly, right? He was already a butterfly, but, he, but the butterfly hadn't been exposed yet. It hadn't come out of him yet. The genes were there, but they hadn't become activated yet. This word metamorpho is saying this, that the genes are already in there, but what is in there is, begins to come out and you begin to be formed into something that was already on the inside of you, okay? It's the same word, this word metamorpho, it's the same word that is used when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. When Jesus takes Peter, James, and John onto the mountain of transfiguration, and it says that Jesus, his form changed. His clothes even changed. All of the, every, all the attributes about Jesus, he began glowing, right? It's the same word that is used for trans, his transformation, his transfiguration, that is used here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, to, that tells us that we become transformed. That as Jesus gets closer to the Father, his divine nature begins to express itself. Let me say it again over here. <laughs> As Jesus draws closer to the Father, his divine nature is manifested. So what is this scripture trying to teach us? That as we look to Jesus, and behold him as in a mirror, as we, trans we are then transformed into the image of the Father. But here's the deal, it's not a new image, it's something that is already on the inside of us. We already are made in the image and the likeness of the Father, right? Genesis one, or Genesis chapter two, we are made in the exact image and likeness of the Father. The DNA of the divine nature is there, but it is drawn out of us as we look to Jesus. As we become close to the Father, we, we become like him. That's why when Moses 
goes into the tabernacle to speak with God face to face. And he comes out with the tablets of the law. His face was glowing. His face was shining because as he spent time with God face to face in the tabernacle, the divine attributes, the likeness that he has, the DNA of the Father that is in him began to express itself. That's good stuff. I may not be saying it well, but it's good stuff. Verse, or the other word I wanted to show you here is the word image, which is the word icon. Much easier Greek word to pronounce than the first one. And here's what image means. Exact resemblance, image and likeness. It's like looking in a mirror. It means this, a portrait, which is assuming that there is a prototype. It's the same word used in Colossians 1 verse 15 that says that he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. If he is the firstborn, then it implies that there are others to follow. This word icon is the same word used in Romans chapter eight. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And it's the same word used in Colossians three, verse 10. For you have acquired a new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. So let's put all of this together. Why is presence a priority? Why is presence a priority? Because when we begin to look at Jesus, when his presence comes into the room and we begin drawing near to him, it's like we look into a mirror and we begin to reflect the image that was, that's not, a new image, but an image that was already on the inside of us, the DNA that was already on the inside of us, the divine nature that was there because we were made in the image and the likeness of God. So when he holds up that mirror, when we see Jesus, when we encounter his presence, we become transformed into the image, the exact expression and likeness of the Father. Why is his presence important? Because it's in his presence that we begin to look more and more like him. We begin to look more and more like him. When we stare at the glory of the Lord as in a mirror face to face, metamorpho happens and image and likeness are awakened on the inside of us. That just like with the speckled sheep and the goats, you know, here's the thing. There's not any evidence that that was a miracle. There's not any evidence that God changed what they were producing. God gave them the insight and the revelation of, 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 of the, the plan to put the branches in front of them. But what happened was, is when they looked onto the branches, something that was already on the inside of them was called out and they began to produce that. And that's exactly what happens as we stare into the face of Jesus, image and likeness is awakened on the inside of us. 
Thank you, Jesus. You were made in the image of God. You were made in his very image and likeness. Jesus is the prototype. You are the portrait. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you're not supposed to just see that he is beautiful. That's obvious, isn't it? We know he's beautiful. But when you look at Jesus, you're not just supposed to see that he is beautiful. You're supposed to see that you are beautiful as well. Because you were made in his image. He's the prototype and you're the portrait. Presence is important because it's in his presence that we, the divine nature is awakened on the inside of us and we begin to look like him. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, we see Jesus talking and he's giving parables and he gives the parable of the man who finds a treasure hidden in the field. And the Bible says that the man finds the treasure and he reburies the treasure and then he goes and he sells everything that he has to buy the field so he can have the treasure. Then he tells another parable right after it about a merchant who is on the search for valuable pearls. And it says that when he found this one pearl, this pearl that was of great price, it says that he sold everything else he had to obtain this one precious pearl. And now when we teach on this parable and when we talk about this parable, we always make Jesus the treasure. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Jesus is the treasure that is buried in the field that we go and we sell everything we have so that we can obtain the treasure. And that is absolutely good and absolutely true. But here's what I believe also about these parables. I believe that he is not only the treasure, he is not only the pearl, but we are the treasure and we are the pearl as well. That Jesus found a treasure he came to the earth and gave everything that he had, sold everything that he had so that he could purchase the treasure in the field. You're the treasure. Yes, he's the treasure, but you're the treasure. He's the merchant that sold everything that he had because he found this pearl that was worth giving everything up for so that he can obtain the prize. This pearl that is worth great price. It's why Jesus, while we were yet sinners, put on flesh and came to the world because he loved us with such a great love. And that shows us our value. You are the treasure. You are the pearl. And what happens in his presence, as we get in his presence and we begin to look face to face at him, what we begin to realize is that we begin to reflect that image that he has. We begin to realize that we look like he does. 
And so not only in his presence are we to recognize that he is beautiful, but we begin to realize we're beautiful too. That we have worth because he has worth. And we reflect in the mirror. The veil is removed and we begin to reflect the image, exact image. We begin to metamorpho and transform in the divine nature that is already on the inside of us begins to come out as we begin to look like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I hope you understand this this morning. That you, you are made in the express, exact image of the Father. You have worth. You have value. God, I pray that this morning that metamorpho would take place on the inside of us. That where sin causes us to walk in distortion and with, without form, that metamorpho would come and restore our form and our identity and who we are. God, that as we draw close to you this year in your presence, God, we wouldn't just get goosebumps and have good time in worship, but Father, as we draw close to you in your presence, there would be a change on the inside of us. God, that we would begin to look like you look. We would begin to talk like you talk. We'd begin to uh, um, walk in the ways that you would walk and do what you would do, Jesus. As metamorpho takes place on the inside of us, as we behold in a mirror, face to face, face to face with you in your presence. You know why revival's important? You know, we want revival to sweep across the United States, don't we? I want people to see Jesus. I want people to encounter Jesus. But I don't want a revival to sweep across the United States just so people will begin to live more morally sound lives. That's wonderful, and I hope that happens. But I want people to encounter Jesus. I want revival to come because I want people to begin to see their worth. I want people to begin to encounter his presence and that as Jesus holds up that mirror, we begin, that, that people all across the nation would begin to see themselves in the image of Jesus. That metamorpho would begin to take place. And what is inside of people would begin to come out. That DNA of the Father would begin to come out. And we'd begin to see a metamorpho take place all around us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. His presence is important this year. And his presence is important and it's a priority because it's in his presence that we take on his image. It's in his presence that that DNA is awakened on the inside of us. And we, as we behold him, we become what we behold.
Jesus, I pray once again this morning, Father, that as we make presence a priority in our lives, God, that there would, that the, the, um, the image of the Father would begin to be expressed on the inside of us, Father. God, that 2023 wouldn't be just another good year, but that this year would become more like you than we ever have before, Jesus. That we would begin to look more and more like you. And I feel like this, this is a word for somebody here this morning. You have value and worth. Even the world has taught us and even, even the church has taught us that all we are is sinners hanging on by a thread at the garment of Jesus. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. Sin has distorted your identity. Who you really are is a son and daughter of God. Who you really are is the express image of the Father. You are the pearl of great price that he sold everything to come and to receive. You are the treasure hidden in the field that he sold everything for to come and to buy so he could have the treasure. You are the lost coin who the woman churned up her entire house until she could possess that coin once again. You are the prodigal son whom the father sits and waits on the, on the porch, looking at the horizon, waiting for the son to come back so that he could celebrate his son's return. You have value. You have value. And the veil becomes lifted and you see your worth and your value when you encounter his presence face to face. So Jesus, we just invite your presence in this place this year. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what it is you want to do. Come, Holy Spirit, into our house, in our homes while we're washing dishes. Come into our house while we're wrestling on the floor with our kids. Come into our house when we're watching TV and sitting on the couch with our spouses or our friends, Lord. God, let your presence become our focus and our priority that we might be changed more and more into your likeness. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we honor you today. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we go out throughout our day that we would focus on your presence and that you would even come into our vehicles on the way home, Jesus. Even on, the, on our way home, Father, today, even as we're sitting at lunch, that we would sense your presence, that we would see the mirror. God, we honor you and we love you. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.